Hello and welcome to the She Research Podcast. I am your host, Kate McKay. Uh, no, wait, I am your host, Diego Silva. That's right. We switch things up at Sydney Health Ethics. So I'll be your host for this wonderful podcast series. I'm super excited. And before that, I want to thank Kate for her amazing work over the last three years, getting the ball rolling on this series. And I hope I can come close to meeting um, her amazing standards and hosting skills. Um, before introducing our guest, I want to acknowledge that we're recording on the unceded country of the Gadigal people of the Enora Nation. This is and will continue to be Aboriginal land. And I pay my respects to those who have and continue to care for country. Today I'm joined by Hoji Sufi, who's a lecturer at uh, Sydney Health Ethics here at the University of Sydney, to discuss his paper, Non-Clinical Uses of Antipsychotics in Resource-Constrained Long-Term Care Facilities, Ethically Justifiable as Lesser of Two Evils, question mark, in the Journal of Medical Ethics. Hoji, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Diego. So let's get started. How would you summarize your paper? Yeah, so I think it might be useful to start with some background into why I uh, chose this topic. So my PhD thesis was on the ethics of uh, using antipsychotics in long-term care facilities. And I looked at different justifications that healthcare professionals provide for the practice. It's a very controversial practice. There's not that much evidence base for the use of antipsychotics, but they are commonly used. And one justification in the empirical uh, literature is that it can be a lesser of two evils. And that means, on the one hand, we know that it is ethically undesirable because of the side effects, because of the risk of social marginalization of people with dementia, etc. On the other hand, we know that resources in many long-term care facilities are limited, and the use of antipsychotics can be one way to manage the high workload of caregivers. Again, it's acknowledged that this is ethically undesirable, but the argument, or at least the, the purported argument, is that it is a lesser of two evils, mm-hmm. or it is less ethically undesirable than the collapse of the whole care environment. Yeah, so th- th- this was the background. And in terms of the summary, the summary is that I think this is a very, it, this is not a robust justification for non-clinical uses of antipsychotics. And by non-clinical, I mean there is no clinical indication. The medications are used for other reasons, like managing the high workload of caregivers or making the care easier or manageable for caregivers. And I think this is not, the lesser evil justification is not robust, and we shouldn't routinely invoke that in those clinical contexts. So I actually want to go there. So you, you invoke the, the lesser evil justification. Uh, I'm wondering if you can briefly describe what that is for listeners. I know that you go into depth in that in the paper. And then give us a little bit of you about your perspective. Because in the paper, again, you're, you, you remain a bit more agnostic about it. Yes. So I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on, on it. Yeah. So there are different versions of lesser evil justifications, but the one that I focus in this paper is the one that has appeared in the current philosophical literature. So the lesser evil justification of the kind discussed in the philosophical literature. And the basic idea here is this, that there are situations where moral agents have only two options. Both options are morally undesirable, and they are, for some reason, need to make a decision between these two 
otherwise morally undesirable choices. And in those cases, it is morally permissible for moral agents to take the course of action that brings about less overall harm. So that's probably a very brief summary of lesser evil justification of the kind that I focus right, in, the, in the Right, paper. right, right. Yeah. And so do you buy these types of arguments? So I know that you, you, you try to uh, use it for the case that, that you have on sort of uh, non-clinical use of antipsychotics. Um, but generally speaking, what are your thoughts on this type of argument? Yeah, so I think it would be also useful to make a clarification here. When we talk about lesser evil justification, we can... Uh, make this justification in two ways. Sometimes we just say that it is morally permissible for moral agents to take a course of action that brings about less overall harm. But sometimes we make lesser evil justification to say that it's morally required for agents. Right. So this is a a stronger version of lesser evil, stronger use of lesser evil justification. So I am opposed to the strong version. So I don't think we we have moral we are morally required to take the course of action that brings about the overall harm. I am still opposed to the less strong version of lesser evil justifications for a couple of reasons. I think I alluded to some of those reasons in paper, but for me the main reason is that we have to find a common moral denominator. Mm-hmm. in most lesser evil situations, uh, in, in lesser evil situations. And I think in most lesser evil situations, it's very hard, conceptually it's very hard to find and settle on a common moral de- denominator. And I think absent that common moral denominator, then we cannot say that this course of action is overall less harmful than the other. And, and so... It- Kind of coming back to the the subject matter, which is the sort of the, the non-clinical use of the antipsychotics, yes. how would this this common denominator or the lack thereof or the challenge of trying to find that common denominator, what would that look like or what does that look like in this particular case? Yeah, I think actually it's much more complicated than the the common lesser evil situations that philosophers have focused on. Right. So philosophers have focused on situations like the trolley problem, And in the paper, I argue that there are some nuances in the in the case that I'm focusing on, which is the use of which is the non-clinical use of antipsychotic, and those nuances are absent in the trolley problem. One of them is that in the trolley. So uh, maybe we should uh, talk a bit about the trolley problem. Maybe you can. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a classic example, but the the trolley problem is. Uh, you are at a railroad. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but you're at a railroad and there's a train moving to the direction of where there's one person who won't be able to move out of the way. Uh, Sorry, there's five people. And there's another railroad that has one person. And so the dilemma is, do you pull a lever to derail the train towards the one person who can't move out of the way, thus killing the person? So that's sort of the the, the classic example. uh, is it Philip of Foot who started? I can't remember who was yeah, the first. Philippa, yeah, yeah Philippa. So very sort of very classic example. So. Yeah. So in that case, I mean, lesser evil justifications have discussed extensively in relation and with regard to the trolley problem. And in the trolley problem, the argument that many 
philosophers buy is that the agent, the the person who uh, who can direct the trolley, is morally permissible to do that, to direct the trolley and kill one person to save the five. And I think, so I, I remain agnostic on that, but I think that doesn't apply to the non-clinical uses of antipsychotics because in the trolley problem, the person who is in the position to direct the, tr the trolley doesn't have any connection to the people who are on the track. Right, yeah. And this is, this is, not, uh, the, this is not the case with the non-clinical use of antipsychotics. Caregivers, if they have a lesser evil justification, then they have to explain how, how can they account for the duty of care that they have and that duty of care will, will be violated by the non-clinical uses of antipsychotics because basically it amounts to putting uh, people with dementia at unnecessary, from a clinical perspective, risk yeah. of harm. What, what, what I found really interesting about reading your paper is I think that there's a growing uh, number of individuals within bioethics kind of questioning the sort of off-the-shelf use of things like the trolley problem or overly simplistic mental models that I guess that we're used to in normative ethics. What, what's your take on this? I mean, I, I sort of can gather a little bit, but how do you feel about how do we move from sort of these traditional modes of thinking in terms of normative ethics and sort of the classic sort of normative ethics world to the more applied ethics world that, that we deal with? Yeah, so just a bit of personal history. I, I was actually a fan of thought experiments for a while um, during the early years of my PhD. I was reading them a lot and I was thinking about them a lot. But then I had this contact with one of Katrina McKenzie's paper mm. at Macquarie University. And she basically argues that there is limited use of thought experiments in applied ethics because, again, they miss many of nuances and it, it, it just doesn't do the job that we, we expect from them. And that actually changed my mind a bit. And then that was probably the start of my critical journey into uh, whether or not thought experiments can be used or not. And I, at, at the moment, I'm a bit critical, actually, of, uh, of the use of thought, thought experiments in, in the paper. I mentioned some of those reasons. But yeah, I, I think I, I have sympathy with the, with, with the people who, are, who, want to, who want to raise questions about the usefulness and the merits of invoking thought experiments in our moral deliberation. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use them. Right. I think there is some use probably. There is probably some uh, pedagogical use or maybe some heuristic use in the way to, to talk about ethical issues in abstract. But right. when we talk about applied issues, issues that have concrete implications for people, then I think... Uh, we should be extra careful, or at least we should be mindful of the nuances that we uh, we lose. Right. Just kind of shifting gears a little bit, your, your research tends to focus on uh, ethics of dementia, ethics of long-term care. Um, obviously, this paper, as we've noted, is about the, the, the non-clinical use of antipsychotics. Where did your motivation come from for this paper and, I guess, for your broader kind of research enterprise? Yeah, so I had this interest in the way that medications are used in dementia care, I mean, in, in for people with dementia and in geriatric context. And again, that also is 
because of my background to some extent. So I'm a pharmacist by training. And that area of practice was always interesting to me uh, in the sense that it raised a lot of questions about what is the value behind many of the prescription practices in geriatric context. In many cases, we seem to ignore the, the value-laden questions about hmm. those practices, and we just continue doing them. But if we think about them and, uh, more critically, then it compels us to find reasons and to find explanations for why they shouldn't change. And if we think that they should change, then we have to provide reasons. So that was the kind of internal dialogue that I had in the early, in my early practice, in my early pharmacy mm -hmm. practice. And then, then uh, through my further studies, biotechnology studies, and uh, my PhD at Macquarie, then uh, that interest uh, grew and yeah, became probably the main focus of my current research. And so where do you want to, yeah, you mentioned your current research. So where does this paper fit within your sort of larger thinking about uh, your current research and where you want to take things in your research? Yeah, so in, in a couple of ways, uh, I, want to, I want to expand on this paper and also this paper aligns with some of the themes that I want to more broadly pursue. So one of them is patient safety. And I think one neglected area is that we think of patient safety mostly from a narrow clinical perspective, like, like just in terms of adverse effects. But we do not take into account the values that people have. And some of the, some of the practices that we think are unsafe for patients are actually probably not safe from patients' perspective. So, and here, this aligns with that theme, like, this is uh, this can be a paper in patient safety more broadly construed. So that's uh, and again, again, I'm looking at the justifications and the type of arguments that we invoke in patient safety uh, discourse. Another area that this paper aligns with is the fallacious arguments that are commonly made when when medications are used and in justifying the medications and in um, in rationalizing certain prescription practices. Again, this is probably to some extent because of my ph pharmacy background, but I think that this contributes to, um, to that research area as well a bit. Right. Yeah, and also some of the more theoretical interests that I have, like um, I am interested in, in the use of ethical theory in, in clinical practice. Right. And here I'm touching on whether or not we can make we can make use of deontology and consequentialism through lesser evil justification, which again I'm, I'm a bit critical. Right. Yeah. So in a, in a in a couple of ways, this this paper uh, aligns with my research areas and my interests. It's really interesting. We're we're seeing now further discussions here in Australia, but honestly, globally, as as populations are getting older, on average, these questions around long term care around caring for older populations are becoming front and center and much more sort of difficult to, to avoid. What do you see as sort of some of the main challenges from the ethics perspective that, that we're facing now and that we're going to face into the future with regards to, to, to long-term care and with regards to older populations? Yeah, 
So a couple of challenges come to my mind. One of them is actually I borrowed this idea from Nancy Jecker from mm-hmm. Indian University of Washington. And she argues that we have this midlife bias in mm-hmm. our ethical assessments. And this means that many of the ethical frameworks and values that we abide by and promote are developed from the perspective of people who are in their midlife. So she argues that we have to go beyond that. When we talk about uh, people at at later stages of life, we have to rely on more specific frameworks that are tailored or or perhaps are developed for that specific aim. So that's one challenge that I think we, we are facing with. So it's, like a, it's, a, it's an epistemic challenge. Then, yeah, right? so, yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, we, so we are at midlife stages of our lives. For better or worse. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> it's, it's a challenge for us to think about that because Absolutely. we are not yes, uh, yet there. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And we have to incorporate the, the views and uh, at least we have to investigate the views of uh, people at the later stages of life. But I think that, again, a more practical challenge here is that in many cases, we have some epistemic limitations. We can, we do not have epistemic access to their life words because they. I mean, I'm, I'm more specifically think, uh, talking about people with dementia. Right. Yeah. Like the, our our access to their life word is a bit limited. I mean, not a bit. Probably is, uh, yeah. is limited. So that's one of the challenges. So I think I have sympathy with the with going beyond the midlife bias, but there are challenges, both practical and epistemic. And another challenge that comes to my mind is that there's not that much specific ethical work on aged care and on on life at the later stages, at life at our uh, at the later stage. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of end of life care ethics, but yeah, not but not end not of, in between. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think uh, yeah, that's the challenge that I'm I'm facing as well. Like. There's not that much li- literature, so I mean, here uh, in th- in this paper, I'm I'm the, the the first one actually to critically examine the lesser evil justification in the context of uh, aged care facilities, and in many other areas, I think there's this. I'm not sure if it's fair, but there's there's not that much. There's limited attention to right. the ethical questions. I mean, maybe partly it's because of the way that our funding system is set up. Uh, or maybe people are just not interested. Right. So yeah, I would say one of the challenges that I face at the moment is that there's not that much serious scholarship right. on the topic. So, so look, I think this is I think this is a terrific sort of call to our listeners and yeah. folks tuning in to contact you if they are interested yes. in this in this area of research. Again, it's not going away for better or worse. Yes. Um, and I think some of these the questions that you're asking are unbelievably challenging because I think they push us towards not just thinking in terms of ethics, but in terms of thinking in terms of epistemology, um, but also just in terms of thinking through sort of life experience and, and, and challenging, you know, what we think in terms of empirical bioethics, which is sort of asking and having conversations with people, what does that look like uh, in the context of persons with dementia, so on and so forth. So I th- uh, undoubtedly, you're, you're going to have your hands full for a long, long time to come. And I'm, I've got to say, I'm, I'm grateful from a s- s- social perspective, society's perspective, that, that you are tackling these, these questions. Yeah, thanks. Uh, again, i just uh, reiterate your, your point that if people are interested in uh, the things that I 
research on. Uh, yeah, certainly, please get in touch. And yeah, I, 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 I'd love to uh, make connections. I want to wrap things up by thanking you, the listeners, for listening to this episode of the She Research Podcast. You can find the paper um, that we discussed today. It's going to be linked in the episode's notes, along with a transcript uh, of our discussion. Uh, SheePod is produced by She Network and edited by Regina Botros. You can find our other episodes on Spotify, Radio Public, Anchor, or uh, wherever you get your podcasts of quality and maybe even some of your podcasts of ill repute. I'm your host, Diego Silva. Thanks again for listening. Uh, Bye. Have a great day.